Hello, and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Benjamin Schwartz, assistant producer filling in for Christy Jansen today. I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the community and the environment that their work touches. We are recording the show on August 10th, 2019. Before we get going, I would like to invite our listeners to reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org if you have any questions or comments about the show today, or if you have anything you would like us to discuss in the future. We would love to hear from you. As always, you can listen to us on the go using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Just search World Business Academy. I would also like to remind our listeners that we have a new radio show, Solutions News, airing Friday nights which takes a positive and solutions-oriented look at real-world issues. It is also available every week as a podcast. If you want to listen to that, send us a note, and we will let you know how to do that. I want to acknowledge this is the first time we are testing a shorter format for the show. The news and economy have been so chaotic and packed with information recently that even though we had announced we would begin this format in September, August just seems like the perfect time to take a deeper dive into the news. So, hello, Ronaldo, and can you explain exactly what has been going on recently that is so fascinating? Well, Benjamin, thank you, and, and thank you for coming on a Saturday to, to record this for us. Um, we did receive some good feedback from people who thought that a uh, two-week update would be really helpful, and we were thinking about doing that when all of a sudden uh, I saw this term in the, um, in the news uh, the reference, in, and you know, I've often used the expression that the stock market has been yo-yoing since last July, roughly, and that yo-yoing refers to how it goes up really high and it comes down really low and it goes up and down and up and down. And what I told people last July of 2018 was, don't get caught up in all that drama. Stay away from it because that's what's going to happen. And at the end of the day, it's going to go sideways or down and you can avoid like a lot of sleepless nights if you don't watch it going up and down like a yo-yo. But then I saw this term two days ago and that's what called me to decide that I want to call the show. They're not calling it a yo-yo anymore. They're now calling it, I'm quoting, um, the Dow has been, quote, whipsawed by trade tensions close quote. I like whipsawed better than I like, because it implies a speed of change, not just that it goes yo-yoing up and down. So why we decided to do this today is because so many factors came together so quickly that it was important, I felt, to give people um, a broader understanding of what's going on. And, and what I wanted to do was to give people things that they could actually look at and watch between shows to make sure that they knew what we were tracking and how it affected the advice we give on each show. So with that in mind, um, what are the things that we saw happening? Well, we saw Germany slide into recession, which is a huge thing. Uh, we saw that the sickest economy in Europe, Italy, uh, continues to be the sickest economy of the major economies in Europe, and is now uh, at loggerheads because the unbelievably unlikely partners in the current government, the Northern League, which is a I don't want to call it fascist, but extremely right-wing group, formerly really pushed forward by Berlusconi, who basically looted the state of Italy for 19 years. And they linked up with the Five Star Movement, started by a comedian who is kind of a left liberal kind of guy. So you got this left liberal, these kind of alt-right guys in a government, which can't work, didn't work, and they're at each other's throats. And so 
uh, Silvani, the head of um, the Urban, the National Northern League, has actually requested formally that the parliament be dissolved so they can have a new vote. I guess he's assuming that they would pick up more votes at this time. And what's interesting about that request is the president of Italy has not granted it yet. Under the Indian-Italian constitution, if the president doesn't agree, he does not have to call an early election. So what we're going to wait and see is if one gets called. It's been a couple, three days since this has been requested. But even if it isn't called, the, the fact that they have called for it uh, tells you how Italy is continuing to unravel, even as it had some positive news just six, seven weeks ago when they finally got a deal with the European Union on the Italian debt structure and the ratio of debt to GDP, which, by the way, I'm going to give a number to folks, which is kind of interesting. Italy, the basket case of Europe in terms of the economy, has a debt to GDP of about 132%, 135 at most. And that's after all the horror stories we've been telling for the last couple of years. And I put that in perspective. The U.S. ratio of debt to GDP is now pushing 200%, not 135. So why is Italy getting spanked so hard by the markets when we are way worse off in terms of our debt? debt? And by the way, just to, that's one of the other factors that came up this week is we now know we're going to have a trillion dollar plus deficit for the first time. So, um, so why is that an important number? Well, it's important because people need to know as the U.S. falls further and further away from being the reserve currency, it will not be able to maintain anything close to what it's maintaining currently as the dollar. But because it is the reserve currency, and there's a flight to safety, as it's called, and the euro's been under pressure, which we'll talk about in a minute, the, uh, the British pound sterling is under tremendous pressure, soon to be get worse, which we'll talk about. The dollar is not under pressure because it's the last, it's the last haven for money, if you, you know, who's going to be the last guy standing is the question. And, and the belief is it's still going to be the U.S. because we still are the reserve currency. But that is beginning to change fairly quickly. Uh, our battle with Iran has forced many countries to start buying oil around our sanctions, which is diluting our ability to be the reserve currency. Other countries have come to the fore pushing their currencies, China being one of them and others. And so what's going to happen is the U.S. will lose its status as reserve currency. And when it does, that 200% to GDP is going to be unsustainable. Now, they've sustained it in, in Japan for many years now, two decades actually. And the reason is because the Japanese economy is very, very unique. It's, it's, um, it's kept alive in effect by the savings at the post office. So they have a postal system that does all the savings in Japan. And because the Japanese are incredible savers, what they're doing is they're funding their own deficit, even though they're not the reserve currency. So they're keeping the yen up fairly decently because they keep plowing back everything through the Postal Service back into the economy. That's going to come back to haunt Japan pretty soon, I'm going to guess. Um, I'll keep an eye on that and keep you advised on it. It's, it's not ready to fall off the trolley just yet for a couple of reasons I won't get into. But I think there's a lot of inherent weakness there, and we should be watching that yen and the Japanese economy in context of what's going on in Asia. So back to Europe for a second. Yep. The U.S., because of its debt-to-GDP ratio and its role as a reserve currency, is kind of safe at the moment. Right. Europe is not the same way. Nope. You know, we can see that with Italy. What about some other countries? Okay, so in Germany we talked about, uh, let's talk about uh, the growth in Germany, flat to negative. Uh, the growth in the UK, of course, is even more negative than Germany, down about two-tenths of a percent and then keep dropping. In fact, there was an article just yesterday in the Financial Times of London inquiring why is it that with the pound sterling dropping, we'll talk about that in a second, why isn't it that the, the British are not now exporting more and their economy getting stronger? And the reason is because 
They're, they're absolutely clobbering themselves over Brexit. And with Boris Johnson getting elected, the pound sterling hit its lowest level, I'm going to say in at least 11 years, maybe longer. And that was the 2008 drop. So you're talking about a, a, a massive dislocation coming for the pound sterling. So right now, for example, we, we told people you know, about three, four months ago, currency speculation or currency investing is not for the faint of heart and certainly not for inexperienced people. So I don't recommend it for our listeners typically. But I do point out, for those of you amongst us who are more aggressive, I said if you go short the pound sterling, I said this back in May, I believe, um, you could do much better than the stock market. Well, the pound sterling has dropped 8% since May, and the stock market has dropped only about, oh, I'm going to say 5 or 6%. So you actually would have done better if you'd have shorted the sterling than buying a stock, because the swing I just quoted was down 8 to the sterling, down four to the market. So if you'd taken that 4% negative and just gotten out of the market and bought the pound sterling, you'd have made yourself 8%. Now, I guess the issue coming up is we need to talk about the um, um, other indices we should be covering. So we've, we said last, for example, July, August of 2018, we think oil's on a long-term down. It's going to be adversely affect, affected over the longer term, and it has since last uh, August 2018, it was at $67 a barrel, and today it's at 54. So it's down about, you know, 5-6%. Uh, we said that the S&P 500 will yo-yo around, but it'll be go sideways or down. Well, since we said that in August of 2018, it's gone down 6%. We said the Dow will yo-yo around, and eventually it'll go sideways or down, and it's gone down 3.3%. Conversely, we said, why don't you go buy gold? Because if you'd buy that in, in 2018, like we said in, in, in July, August, you would have made a 66% gain on your money. 66, that's six, six, two of them uh, in that period of time. And by the way, uh, I was asked very recently, is the gold run up over now that it's very close to $1,500 an ounce? It's at $1,490 something. And uh, the answer is no, this is just the beginning of the gold run up. So if you haven't bought gold yet, plenty of time to do it. I can't see any reason between now and when Brexit occurs or doesn't occur. Let's talk about what that means in a second. I can't see any reason why gold won't hit at least 1600 or more. So why is that? Because Brexit is so incredibly crazy. And Boris Johnson seems absolutely dedicated to, he's committed to doing it. He announced on Wednesday that if he pulls a snap election, uh, he will do it for November 1st after the Brexit exit happens, just so if he's dumped out of office, which he will be, I suspect, uh, Brexit will have already happened. Now, why he wants that to be his mark on history, I do not know, because that's not the mark on history I would want. That's sort of like the guy who uh, set up the guillotine in the Place de la Concorde who wants to take credit for all the heads they chopped off. I mean, I, I don't know that what that guy's name was, but he didn't do really well. Mm -hmm. And even Madame Lafarge, who was knitting while the thing was coming down, uh, would have, I think, taken back the experience of what happened with the guillotine. So Brexit, if you want to take and mix metaphors, it isn't a guillotine. It's more like shooting yourself in the foot intentionally. Okay, so what's happened is that gold has gone up because people are properly fearful of the trade war with China. And they see what's going on with the trade war as hurting the U.S. economy and hurting the Chinese economy, therefore hurting also the global economy, which is why Germany's down. Germany sells into China. Now, in one sense, 
Chinese are going to be able to sell easier into Germany because they've now dropped the yuan down or the renminbi. Let me come back to that in a second. And um, theoretically, the Germans could buy more Chinese goods if they want. The problem is that Ch Germany doesn't like the deficit spend. And since it's selling less now than it was before to China, and with the renminbi down even lower, Germany will sell even less to Ch China, which means the impact of the U.S. trade, U.S.-China trade war is negatively impacting Germany and, frankly, all of Europe. Uh, in fact, the whole globe. So let's just talk for a second about what it's doing here in the U.S. Well, we continue to have what's called an inverted yield curve, meaning that you can make more money uh, with a six-year treasury bond than with a 10-year one, which is crazy because the risk is greater on 10 years, theoretically. But the market's priced in the belief that it's going to be okay for the next six months, but all hell could break loose after that. And the market's right. And I mentioned earlier that the annual budget deficit for the first time is going to push over a trillion dollars with the, with the bill that was just passed. Um, you should know that that means that the Treasury has committed to keeping its long-term debt issuance at the record $84 billion. It's been out last quarter. It's going to be for the third consecutive quarter at that level. Uh, and that was an announcement made on Wednesday, which is interesting in and of itself because normally the Fed doesn't tell you that much ahead of time what it's going to do. So what we're talking about is this this level of bond selling to cover deficit. This is this tops the previous record, which was achieved at the height of the Great the Great Recession in 2009. So that gives you a sense of why we decided to do the show today. With all those things are happening simultaneously, it was time for me to get on the air. Uh, I I did write a long email back to our listener John. Uh, and John, I hope that you saw that response to the comments you made about our last show. And um, I got some other comments from people basically saying, gee, we've done so well with that. A gold investment you told us to do, is it time to get out of gold? And I said, oh my gosh, no, it's the exact opposite. Uh, if you haven't bought yet, it's not too late. If you did buy, you're, in, you're working off of house money right now. So to clarify, even though gold is becoming really mainstream and, you know, all the main financial news organizations are suggesting, you know, gold and gold fever, you would still say keep your money in gold and potentially invest more. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just bought more for Lala, my wife, just uh, on a Friday, even though uh, it won't go into the market till Monday. So I missed that last little upbeat. But it doesn't matter because you're on a long-term uptrend. And, and, and where are you going to put your money anyway that's safer right now than gold? So I was the only guy saying that last July, but now that I've got a lot of companies, you know. I mean, Ray Dalio's come out in favor of buying right. gold. Um, other, quote, smart investors have now finally said gold is the place you want to be. And that's just going to bring more people into gold, as will what's going on in the turmoil in Asia, because Asians historically have used gold as their safety nest. And with what the turmoil going on in the Asian markets, now you got North Korea just fired two more missiles, apparently sent a lovely letter to the president the day before they fired him. So he was commenting on what a lovely letter they sent. Never commented on the missiles, which were aimed at Japan and fell into the Sea of Japan. They obviously didn't aim to hit Japan. They just aimed at Japan to show that they could hit them. So North Korea, uh, and, and there was an estimate that was made recently by the uh, American Domestic uh, Intelligence Services that in the time that Trump has been talking to the dictator Kim, that North Korea has had enough time to build enough nuclear fissionable material for 10 additional nuclear weapons. Wow. Just since Trump has been having his love affair with Kim Jong-un. So, I, I, you know, I mean, to, to, for those who thought that those conversations were positive from the U.S. point of view, they weren't. The whole thing was a, a photo op, just like it often is with the president. 
And uh, we're really in a, in a situation now where we have a, a very, very serious question to deal with in terms of what to do with North Korea, what to do with the global economy, how to get out of this devastating trade war that is now, I mean, China has cut off all imports of American agriculture. So even though Trump has been handing out huge checks to large agribusiness, he's been taking the tariff collections, which is a tax, and giving that money back to large institutional agribusiness farmers. He hasn't been doing it for the little farmers. Hasn't helped at all the guy on Main Street in those farming communities. Hasn't helped John Deere sell more tractors. And, you know, one of the things that a farmer recently said in Minnesota as part of a campaign rally, uh, one of the, I think it was the head of the Minnesota soybean farmers, and he said that when, you, when, you, when you're built to develop a crop, like we were soybeans, where we sort of dominated the soybean man, uh, growing in the world, which Brazil is now taking that over from us, that Brazil now has that title, I think, and we won't get it back. I mean, Brazil's not going to give that title up. And, and what this farmer was saying on behalf of other farmers is, if you grow soybeans and you've been doing it for years, you don't even have the equipment to switch to a different flavor. Right. right. It's you, the way you, of life. It's a way of life because you've got a particular seed planter that plants soybeans. It doesn't plant sorghum. You've got a, a harvester that harvests soybeans. It's not designed to harvest wheat. You know, it's like it's not easy to turn agribusiness around. And remember, these are these combines and things that because of agribusiness's aggregation of real estate. You know, these combines will drive for a mile or two in one direction before they turn around and come back. I mean, you're talking about huge, huge machines, very expensive machines. And um, you can't just overnight change crops. Now, a small farmer can. A small farmer can adjust much more rapidly, particularly if they're an organic farmer because they are not dependent on international fertilizer prices. They're not dependent on oil prices. They're not dependent on a whole bunch of things. So they can actually respond very effectively and switch crops to something that they will grow, which they'll sell in the U.S. So there's a lot of crops that we never did export, uh, export out in significant quantities, blueberries, for example, but we eat a lot of them here. Um, saying you can do blueberries on the ground in like Alaska, or you can do what are called bush blueberries, which is how we grow them in California. Uh, it's never been an export crop, and frankly, we, we, bring, we import a whole bunch of blueberries. Uh, from Chile, typically, in the reverse season. Um, well, if we continue to advance smart farming methodologies, which would include drip irrigation, which would include using more um, indoor growing facilities, we, we uh, I hate to call them greenhouses because that's sort of like you know, calling a Model T a modern automobile. The greenhouses of today are much more modern. They're much more sophisticated, much more... They, 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 can, they can do control of temperature and humidity in ways that was never imagined in the old days of greenhouses. But as we go to what I will call controlled environment growing, which is what a greenhouse is, controlled environment growing is also what drip irrigation is, etc. As we go to more and more of those kinds of, of, of approaches, we will be able to grow more and more of our food for domestic consumption and not rely on exports. But that's going to be a massive dislocation because the agribusiness companies that dominated global soybeans are basically, I'm going to say probably two-thirds of their business is gone now. Wow. That's a huge walk. Yeah. Now, and that's not even looking at the damage that was done to the fields from the uh, enormous amount of rain that came really in the planting season. So in one sense, because they couldn't plant as much, they're going to be a little bit better off. 
but they're still not going to be able to make that bank loan at the end of the year or going to have to get forgiveness on it. So I, I would think the American banking institutions that are based on credit from farming communities are now in some jeopardy, actually. And I would start to look at those as, okay, who's a weak sister in that group and who's going to take the most abuse from that change in, in, in agricultural policy? Okay, so going through all of those factors, where do we come down? Well, we come down on it and continue to say, stay out of the stock market. Don't go near it. You're not smart enough, nor am I, to be in it. Uh, I continue to buy gold. I uh, continue to be, uh, I, I do believe the pound will come down further. The pound sterling between now and Brexit. So if you want to have some fun and take some money you're willing to lose, eh, go short sell the pound and you probably will make 10% between now and October. And the nice thing about short selling the pound is as soon as, as, soon as Boris does anything smart, you can sell. And take your take your winnings off the table. Uh, I don't expect he'll do that much that's smart, but he might. I mean, he might get right up to Brexit and realize it's a crazy idea. But right now he's saying he's going to go for a no Brexit, no deal Brexit, which means a thud. I mean, it literally would be the UK coming apart. Uh, the Scots are completely troubled by it all because they probably will have to leave the UK, which would mean that the UK would be comprised at that point of Northern Ireland, cut off by Ireland, so I don't know what you do with that border. Wales, which has never been exactly a, my, a major economic engine of any kind. Uh, and, and, you know, the flag of St. George, which is England itself. <laughs> so I, I think uh, the UK is in terrible, terrible shape. I think Europe is in very, very bad shape, going to get worse. The U.S. is in trouble and is going to get worse, meaning the recession that you're starting to see happen is going to accelerate in the next quarter. Uh, and the Fed lowering its interest rate won't help. Um, there's a couple of things, well, there's many things about economics that the Trump administration does not understand. I mean, Peter Navarro, who's his principal economic advisor, is somebody that almost every serious economist would say is a complete yahoo. I mean, he does know his head from his elbow. He's not an economist. And so he's giving Trump incredibly bad advice on tariffs, he, Trump does not understand that a tariff is a tax on the American public, which it is. It's regressive because it, it hurts the people with the least amount of money the most. People with the most amount of money won't feel the tariff. The people with the least amount of money will feel it immediately. And, you know, the best thing that's been going on for our economy, which we've been talking about in the last two or three shows, is because of all the states and cities that pushed the minimum wage up, that push of minimum wage up has been the biggest single thing that's helped the economy this last quarter last two quarters, actually. And that's continuing to help because what it's doing is it's boosting average wages per hour by boosting the bottom, which is where more and more people find themselves. Given that that's the case, I think what you're going to see is that, that, that that's certainly running its course. I mean, the people who are beneficiaries of that higher minimum wage I don't think there's any more coming into place this year. There's, I think there's some more coming, there's some more L, uh, ratchets up coming next year. So that that's over. The sugar high of the tax cuts that Trump passed for the top 1%, 2%, which we said all along was not going to do that much good. The judge and the jury are now finished with that case. Everybody knows it didn't do much good. And the little bit of good it did do is over. So what we call back then the sugar high is done. The sugar high is over. And like any sugar high, when it's over, you get the jitters. So the market's got the jitters. And what I find fascinating is you got people in the market today talking about why it's a great buying opportunity. I mean, either they are unbelievably craven, that's one option, 
two, meaning that they're trying to talk you in so they can part you from your money, which is probably more than half of them. Uh, number two, they really don't know what they're talking about. That's at least another 40 to 45%. And the last 5% are whistling in the dark, hoping that they're right and they have got nothing to base it on because every fundamental you look at is broken. So there's, including, by the way, corporate profits are not set to go up. I don't know who came up with that crazy idea. Corporate profits are coming down in the next quarter. So you're looking at a rough Christmas for sure, perhaps a very, very bad Christmas. And you're looking at a, um, a continuing deterioration of the employment picture. If you look at the fact that we've had a continuous erosion of new jobs created, such that uh, last month uh, we dropped down to what? I was, um, July was 164,000. Before the over, before the restatement. Right. And actually, drop it. both June and May were revised downwards. There are 41,000 jobs were cut off in the revisions for both right. of those months. They overestimated 41,000. Right. And you're going to see a similar kind of revision coming for July, which means that um, we're not creating a ton of new jobs. If you look at the moving average, it's actually dropping quite a bit. And with the, um, the benefits of the minimum wage increase passing through the system, you're now sitting there going, okay, who's going to buy all this stuff, which now is going to be about 10% more expensive if you buy it at Walmart. Right. right, because that's what the tariffs are doing, and I think that that's going to be you know we, we don't export that much to China, but we import a whole lot. So now we will be paying less to China because of the reduction of the renminbi, but we'll be paying more to the U.S. government because of the tariff. So uh, it's a tax. So that's a good segue. You had mentioned earlier we have a bit of time that you wanted to address the renminbi. Yeah, I want to end with that. this. I want people to understand that what China did was the exact opposite of currency manipulation. China has been manipulating the currency up. They've been keeping it higher than it should be out of a way to dangle the trade talks in front of Trump. Unfortunately, by what Trump has done, the Chinese said, okay, we're not going to continue to intervene in the market. And they've permitted it to drop. They have not permitted it to drop as far as it could. It has not bottomed out yet. It could go for lower. So they let it go below seven remember to the dollar. Now, that makes, I think it's about 10% now, that makes Chinese goods 10% cheaper. So when you put a 10% tariff on it, it'll end up probably costing Walmart close to the same, except 10% will go to the government. It'll get redistributed partially to farmers in Iowa and not fully, and the economy will suffer. And that's what tariffs do. That's why trade war, Smoot-Hawley was what was one of the major causes of the Great Depression. You, you, you don't do trade wars. You don't do tariffs. Just, no, no war makes you money unless you're a military contractor, including trade wars. So I think that's a, a problem. I want to leave with just one more thought, and that is I'm very nervous about what's going on in the Middle East. Um, continued hostilities with Iran continued uh, seizure of ships by Iran in, in, in the Straits of Hormuz, the retaliation for those seizures, all are extraordinarily dangerous. And we uh, it's a powder keg in Iran because the sanctions are cutting so hard on the Iranians, I think the Red Guard believes they have nothing to lose. And that's a dangerous thing when you're as well-armed as Iran is. So I'm very nervous about that. Obviously, if Iran goes off, uh, oil prices will go up for a while but that will be temporary. One of the reasons oil prices are not going up more now is because oil has a glut. If you look at the amount of oil stored in the U.S., it's at an all, it's like one of the highest levels it's ever been. And if you look at it globally, it's high. And as the economy continues to lower itself, 
that means that the glut in oil already is going to become worse. So I don't see more oil getting consumed. Consumption is going to go flat or down, most likely, and I would say down. So the only thing that will keep price up is if there's war in the Middle East or something that looks like war and, and causes a temporary spike. But even that will come down over time because the total volume of oil that can be produced today is greater than the amount of oil we can consume. And that will only get more and more to be the case as we do more and more with renewable energy. So I guess that's it for our half hour show. I'm glad we did it. Um, Please let us know if you like this format. Uh, We'd love to keep it going if you do. And that way we'll be talking every two weeks to you about what's going on. And hopefully we'll spot opportunities for you to triangulate your way through what is going to be a very, very ugly period with the recession that's coming on. Now, one last thing, and I'll quit, and that is this. I believe it's very important, very, very important for people to recognize that you got to keep a balance. If all you look at is the negative stuff I see every day, it would drive me crazy. So please subscribe to Optimist Daily. It's free. You can't beat the price. It will bring a smile to your face every day. We're going back to five days a week now that uh, Summers has had her baby. Oh, great. So we're going to go back to five days a week, I think, starting next week. It's going to be September 1, but I think we're going to make it back sooner because Summers called in and said she, she and the team can, can, can go back to five days a week from three days a week. So we've had our three-day-a-week maternity leave. We're back up to five days a week starting in about a week. Uh, and I'll tell you, the stories are phenomenal. I mean, I just every time I open it up, I learn something. When I started that service in January, most of what was in there was stuff I'd heard about somewhere, you know, and it was kind of like I was sharing the information. Now I open it up. I don't know most of what's in there. Most of what I see in Optimus Daily is new to me, and I love the stuff. It is great. Um, You know, even this new uh, ceramic geodesic dome, when you have a country, a state like California, which is going up in fire, these ceramic houses can withstand 2,700 degrees. That means if you put them in Paradise, California, they're not going to burn, okay? And they're very economic, very economic. They're cheaper than a traditionally built home. So there are solutions like that you'll be reading about. Uh, Germany has decided that it's going to probably stop flying airplanes internal to the country because they can do it almost all with trains and they can do it cheaper and it's greener. And within probably a couple of years, you won't see internal flights in Germany. At least not on German airlines. You might see American airlines flying between mm-hmm. like Bonn and Cologne or whatever, Bern. But you won't, not Bern, um, Berlin. But you won't see German airlines doing that as a a statement of how they can green their country. And frankly, it's getting quicker to go by train in Germany. Now, all those things, and you see articles like the ones we talked about with the hydrogen fuel cell vehicles that are 10 of those uh, uh, Toyota trucks have now been delivered or in the process of being delivered to the point of Long Beach that use the same exact engine I drive, except they got two for a semi-truck, one in my car, two for the semi-truck. So these things are coming on strong now. And as they come on stronger, we're going to have an opportunity to, to see if we can keep things wired together so it's a mild recession between now and whatever happens to Trump, whether that's impeachment or uh, the next election in 2020. Uh, if, if, Trump, if Trump gets back in office in 2020, if he doesn't leave office, um, there's no question what will happen. But let's not speculate on that just now because we've got some time between now and then. Let's just look at what's coming in the next three to six months. And it's not good. It's not devastating, but it is definitely not good. And with that, 
I suggest you start reading Optimist Daily so you'll have a happy thought when you look at all this negative economic news. Thanks, everybody, for listening and look forward to chatting with you soon. Send us those cards and letters. Anything you'd like us to talk about, we will.